I'm Dave Cornwayer. And I'm David Kleibenhager. And I'm Adam Rosenhart. And you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We're recording this 43rd episode of the Dave Berta Podcast on Sunday, November 3rd, 2019, and we are thrilled to be joined by our special guest, David Kleimenhager. Welcome, David. Thank you very much. Many of our listeners will know David as the publisher, author, writer of the popular albertapolitics.ca website. So yeah, welcome to the podcast. We're glad to have you back. This is the second time you've been on the Dave Berta Podcast with Correct. us. Correct. The first time I've been here on the 17th floor. <laughs> <laughs> and the first time you've been here on the 43rd podcast. <laughs> Uh, there's been a lot going on in Alberta politics over the past two weeks since we recorded our last episode. So we're going to talk a bit today about the provincial budget, uh, the fallout from the October 21st federal election in Alberta, uh, and what's been going on there. And then we're going to answer some, uh, some questions sent in by our listeners. So let's dive right in and focus on the big thing that ev- has been on everybody's mind this week, the provincial budget. So it seems that Alberta politics is all about picking fights these days. And by the sound of it, picking fights with everyone. Yeah, picking fights with everyone. That seems to be the common theme of this provincial budget, which was uh, tabled by Finance Minister Travis Taves last week. Uh, the cuts, in a, but the cuts included in this budget, and and what's included in this budget, and the the bills that are attached to this budget give an idea of of who, at least in the in the immediate period, uh, the provincial government is trying to pick a fight with. Well, I started out re- referring to this as a revenge budget or as a, as a revenge agenda. Uh, and I thought that Mr. Kenny was going to go and get all his friends, or pardon me, go, go after all his enemies. But now he seems to have hit a point where he's run out of enemies, so now he's attacking his <laughs> friends as well. <laughs> I mean, is, is anyone safe from this thing? I don't think so. Well, it, it seems like chaos is what this is creating. And uh, I mean, I think, I think, you know, we've heard, you, you hear the term chaos, crisis creates opportunity. And I wonder how much that is playing into this is basically uh, picking fights with uh, public sector unions, public sector workers, picking fights with the Alberta Medical Association, picking fights with the two big city mayors, Don Iveson and Nahid Nenshi. Uh, Nenshi, who has bitten back, uh, and uh, and we can talk a little bit about Doug Schweitzer's meltdown uh, in response to that. Uh, and then universities is another one that comes to mm-hmm. mind. And and I don't get the impression that universities are are really interested in pushing back either. No, I don't think so. But I I thought early on that the biggest attack would likely come on universities. And the reason I felt that was because I thought they were an easy target. Uh, they they wouldn't push back, mm-hmm. and because the the conservative base, the UCP base, would like that because there's a streak of anti-intellectualism that runs resentment of people with educations that runs through that crowd. But I don't know. I mean, the, they've cast their net much more broadly than I expected them to. Uh, in there, they seem to be attacking the the uh, the cuts, for example, on indexing, mm-hmm. uh, the creation of uh, not exactly new taxes, but uh, allowing old taxes to be ratcheted up or uh, allowing uh, inflation to cut into things like uh, age payments. Yeah. Uh, these were not things that I expected them to do. I thought they'd make vicious cuts. They'd go after their enemies, the intellectuals, uh, eggheads, uh, union members, and all the usual suspects, but they're casting it much wider. Yeah, age recipients, you mentioned that the age is going to be de-indexed. Um, uh, and We're talking about the most vulnerable Albertans who are uh, who are on the ACE program are going to be d- seriously impacted by this. Um, right. And in addition to cutting, when we come to the universities, in addition to cutting funding for universities, uh, they're allowing them to raise their, their tuition quite significantly, 7% a year, I th- believe it is, uh, over a four-year period. Uh, so that c- c- getting within, you know, 
punching distance of 30 percent, uh, the universities will probably make those raises because they are those increases because they don't have any other choice but doing so. And then their answer to that is, uh, well, you can uh, uh, you can get student loans. And by the way, we're raising the interest yeah. on student loans too, one percent this year. Yeah. So yeah, so you can, you this can is going to kill people, and you can't and you can't declare bankruptcy to get a student loan off your case. It's a, I, I I mean I'm being overly cynical here, but this feels like a scam to pass money from working class and middle class people directly to bankers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in terms of, I mean, you, you, yeah, so so the big universities, University of Calgary, University of Alberta, have had their budgets cut by almost 7% in this budget. Um, other colleges and, and, and universities have had their, their budgets cut with the exception of, it seems, religious private, colleges. Yeah, private re- religious, re- religious colleges. colleges that receive uh, receive government funding. One of which I used to, pre- to to teach at, so that's a good thing. I almost said to preach at, but I never did. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you preached in your, jur- pre- in your journalism I, class. I, pre- I preached, but the whole, several of those young people ended up working for the NDP, so maybe I was <laughs> preaching the wrong mess. Or, or, the, or the right message. Um, so... So cuts to funding, cuts to funding to the university. Uh, university is now allowed to raise tuition, so the tuition cap is gone. Uh, they're allowed to raise tuition to a, a, a significant amount. Uh, interest rates on student loans have increased. Um, why are why aren't we seeing students uh, rallying in the streets? Because Canadian students never rally, I think. Except, except for Quebec students. Well, once a, once a year in, in English Canada. That's a good point. My my daughter uh, has been for several years studying in Germany, and when she first went there, she described the scene of a huge rally in the city she was in uh, by angry students because their their, stu- their tuition fees were going up. And she was laughing because the, the amount that they were paying and the amount they were going up seemed so ludicrously small. But I said to her, my dear, this is how you prevent this from happening every year. So Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I remember. I remember going back, back in time, back in time uh, when I was involved with the University of Alberta Students Union, and we ran. And it was funny because you, you feel like you, you don't the way the where the students are, where the student population is in Alberta. Um, it's not. It's not a radical group of people, and and it would be hard to get. Like we we would struggle to get a thousand students out to a rally against to a rally against tuition increases and we we tried to do some things that were a little different and we weren't the first people to do this other other um uh, student union administrations had done this in the past. This is the thing about the student unions. If you, if you if you have a new executive elected every single year, you're kind of reinventing reinventing the wheel uh, every single year. And there's a different cohort and with a, with a different kind of political culture that's almost elected every single year. So we ran a campaign that called was basically it was I think it was tuition sucks is what we ran. Um, and uh, and you know we really tried to push um, push this kind of stuff. Uh, but I mean I don't really hear I don't I haven't really heard a peep from the students unions. Um, over the past over the past couple of weeks, on in, in reacting to this, which is something that's going to have a significant impact on their on their their membership. The every day is a new day approach is the opposite of what we do in the trade union movement. So we say nothing we've done for the last sixty years has worked. Let's do it again next year. <laughs> <laughs> so in in you know we haven't seen people well we have we have seen people rallying in the streets, um, but how, like how do you think Albertans are going to going to react to this budget in general? Well, this is a very interesting question. The the those people who are generally progressive, and I would include some conservatives, some progressive conservatives in that group, uh, are going to be varying varying hues of deeply concerned to extremely angry about it or about parts of it. I mean, even if you even if you feel that it was absolutely necessary to 
eliminate the debt and eliminate the deficit, which I think are both in economics debatable propositions. Uh, there, are go- there are going to be a lot of people who sincerely feel that way but are also troubled by things that are in the budget, but like the age cuts, for example, mm-hmm. like, the, like the effect on, on middle-class students. Uh, but, I th- but I also think there's enough things like uh, the reintroduction or renaming of old taxes, the fact that well, w- the people who voted for the UCP thought they were voting to get rid of a carbon tax. The carbon tax was eliminated uh, and then was immediately reintroduced under a slightly different form, except a less transparent form, so you don't actually know what you're paying. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so uh, I think you w- that's a really interesting question then. Will, will people who uh, wanted to get rid of the carbon tax feel betrayed by that and be angry? Or, or will they buy the rebranding of it as something completely different and not be troubled? Or, or maybe it was never about the carbon tax. Well, it was all. about like, so, well. That's a, that's a good point too. But it's about something to get people wound up. Uh, true, t- Mr. Trudeau, the Prime Minister, and uh, and uh, former Premier Notley, uh, both made addressing climate change a key part of their uh, electoral programs, and the UCP unquestionably is hostile to it and and uh, tries to appeal to people who are hostile to that, although they pretend to recognize that climate, or to not be climate change deniers. Uh, but, uh, you know, so the the, the, the question is, well, the, the, this was an effective way to rile people up. There's a, one of the things I've been thinking about lately is the, is the fact, and this goes to another thing you want to talk about today, but the, the fact that things that were effective campaign techniques now may not be good for the province, and for that matter, particularly good for the government. Uh, but they are surprisingly, to my way of thinking, persisting with it. And you mentioned Wexit. This is a good example. This was a good way to rattle the bushes and say, we've got a real problem. If you guys get elected, the country will be in trouble. Uh, but I don't know that it's particularly productive for the conservatives in Canada to be, say, to be saying, uh, just trying to gin up the same crisis after the elections happened. Mm-hmm. Because what's the result of that going to be? It's going to be that when... Uh, things have gone on for six months or eight months or a year or two under still Prime Minister Trudeau and everything seems to be fine, then that will really start losing credibility with people. Maybe not in Alberta, who knows, but certainly in other provinces. So who, who will start lo- losing credibility? Well, the Conservatives will. The if, fed- they're, if, the if they're, saying, they're okay. saying, well, uh, yeah. there's going to be this terrible crisis as a consequence of having elect- re-elected Trudeau, and then there is no terrible crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean... Maybe they're trying to gin it up so they can make that case. But uh, this, as a minority governments go, this one looks like a pretty stable one. I know I'm getting off track. No, no, no. We'll, 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 I mean, I want to I talk about the, the federal election and, and what it means for Alberta. But, but talk, that, that's an interesting point you raised because I think that, uh, I mean, a common theme we've seen with this provincial government, with the UCP, is, and I think there's, I think it's intentional in order to isolate themselves from, from um, uh political backlash if the economy doesn't recover is a big part of the UCP agenda has been about creating enemies and mm-hmm. and and whether whether they're real or fictitious and we've seen this since the UCP was founded um Sapora Berman, David Suzuki, Ed Whittingham, Amnesty International, um uh John Horgan, Justin Trudeau, Rachel Notley, uh Nahid Nenshi, uh Public sector unions, school Dave, boards. If, if, we keep, uh, <laughs> if we keep talking like this, we could be their enemies you know, too. <laughs> I'll, I'll send my resume to Tom Olson. Uh, I have I have a list for you, Tom, um, for you in the war room. Uh, but but I mean, a big part of it's it seems like a big part of of what the, what the narrative they've been creating is that everything that's bad in Alberta is someone else's fault, and 
I mean, I think I think part of this is is to to position Kenny, Jason Kenny, to position himself as the defender of Alberta in in the face of everything else, in, you know, and and these outside, um, out, fighting these outside influences. But I also think it serves to ice insulate the UCP if after four years of budget cuts, the international price of oil hasn't recovered. Or hasn't returned, hasn't risen, and the economy is not booming in Alberta, which is a real possibility. I think a lot of people remember the kind of have a vague memories of of the era when Ralph Klein was premier, and they remember the cuts, and then they remember the boom that came afterwards. That was pretty much entirely a result of high 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 international price of natural gas and high international oil prices. If those things too, if those things don't happen after we go through a series of serious serious public service cuts here in Alberta, um, I mean the UCP is going to be in a bit. An, Going to be going to have to do some explaining in four years, and I think that's part of their strategy yeah, is creating I, these outside I, enemies. I agree, but there's also another thing happening here, I think, and that is that a lot of people in the Conservative Party, in the UCP, uh, and in the Federal Conservative Party too, are really angry, and they're not necessarily really angry about things that are being done allegedly, real or imagined things that are being done to to Alberta. Uh, they're really angry about the fact that they have not enjoyed electoral success lately at the federal level. And this is coming out in uh, all kinds of meltdowns. And, uh, and so there's some, there's some real genuine anger here of the sort that I don't think is justified in a democracy. You know, one of the great things about democracy is that every time there's an election, there's a winner. And that means, though, that one of the bad things about democracy, if you happen to be a conservative right now in Canada, is that every time there's a, an electoral winner, there's an electoral loser. And the electoral loser, without any doubt, in the last federal election, no matter how you try to paint it up, uh, was the Conservative Party of Canada. So, you know, I mean, you could say, well, the NDP lost a lot, too, and indeed they did. Mm-hmm. But the NDP was in one of those funny situations where, uh, rather as Alison Redford was a few years ago when it looked like the Wild Rose Party might win, where uh, a reduced uh, governing, a reduced government is actually a good, is actually better than everybody expected. So you come out looking maybe better than you should. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, in in, in the case of the NDP, I mean, we go back to the beginning of the federal election campaign, and people were talking about Jagmeet Singh leading the NDP to win ten seats, and maybe not even getting official party status, or maybe being totally wiped off the map, and they ended up with with twenty four seats. Whereas, I mean. Andrew Scheer, you know, a week or two before the election was was talking on 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 the radio in Toronto about how the Conservatives were going to form a majority government, right. and they didn't come anywhere close to forming majority government. So yeah, I think the expectations management played a big role in that, and, and definitely in terms of the federal election. Uh, yeah, I mean, Andrew Scheer was the clear loser of that election campaign. It was his to lose, basically, um, or his to win, his to lose, which. Well, it was his it was, to win. It was it, it, his it, to win. It was and his he lost to win. It. it was his to win, and he lost it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, you know, if if uh, I mean, I think I made this argument on our last episode that you know, if the conservatives had had a uh, a competent uh, mainstream leader, some even someone like like Rona Ambrose, they could have won that. They could have won. They certainly would have won if Rona Ambrose had been leading. Yeah. But I think they would have run if Maxime Bernier had been leading too. And the reason I say that is, I think if Maxime Bernier had won, uh, as arguably he should have. Uh, given the co- way that con- I'm just talking technically about mm-hmm. that contest, that if he if he if he had been leading them, his views would have been much more moderate, now, or not his necessarily his views, but his expression of his views would have been more moderate. I think Maxime Bernier miscalculated, uh, and he wasn't the only person. To, another person who I think miscalculated in this federal race was actually Jason Kenney, mm-hmm. uh, who probably, if he really wants to be prime minister, should have run for the job and and beaten Andrew Scheer. Uh, but he had, I think, 
come to the conclusion that, well, they won't accept another conservative from Alberta, so let's get a conservative from somewhere else, and then next go-round, I'll go for it. And so instead, they accepted a conservative instead, from Saskatchewan. From Saskatchewan, which is in the eyes of the rest of Canada pretty much the same. Well, and, and very, you know, probably just as blue as Alberta, or even more blue, actually, because uh, the conservatives won all the seats in Saskatchewan. So, so Maxime's miscalculation was that he thought, well, you know, uh, the NDP will hang on to a number of seats in in Quebec, but the Liberals will get the most of them, and all re- and all really go after this whole thing from I'll split the conservative vote and I'll really go after it from a, and pick up some seats and have a, a viable small start out caucus in the, in parliament that we can build on and instead the bloc came roaring back yeah. wiped him wiped him off the map and that's the end of the people's party of canada yeah it's yeah. it's gone as far as we, what was what was uh, Mel Hurdick's party called the National Party. The, the of National Canada. Party of Canada. Yeah, that, uh, that's, that, that's that was the left wing version of the People's Party of Canada. Yeah, <laughs> they're both gone now, folks. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's a uh, that's that's a history lesson right there. Uh, uh, I have to go back to the history books and look at uh, look at was that that was the 1993 election, I think. Yeah. Mel when I first got to Edmonton, uh, Mel Hurdick took me for breakfast at the golf club and and asked me to do some research for the book he was working on for free. But the the reward was to be that he'd mentioned me in the credits. <laughs> so, don't thanks. Well, when he and when he became prime minister, you'd be able to work in his office. That's true. Uh, that's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. Why did the bloc surge in Quebec? What what happened there? Was it all Bill Twenty One? Do you think? I think part of it was built was I think that that part of it was I mean the, the when you look at where the where the Bloc Québécois surge and I'm obviously I'm not a not a Quebec expert and you know there is a uh, uh, when you talk about the the two solitudes I mean there's in Canadian politics there's what's what's happening I mean we're regions but there's what's happening in English Canada and then there's what's happening in Quebec and most of the time it seems people in English Canada have no idea what's happening in Quebec. And and unlike Dave, je ne parle pas français. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, it seemed the way the way things the the way where where the Bloc Québécois won. Um, I mean, they they won in a lot of rural areas. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think Bill Twenty One probably had a lot to do with it. Um, it's it's it was the big big issue in Quebec. It was at least it was a big issue. Um, uh, it seemed to be seemed to be a big issue. Um, I mean, I think. S- sending a message to the the federal government sending a message to Justin Trudeau uh Quebec voters are they're very fluid and when you look at who who's held these seats at the Bloc 1 uh or just the seat totals in Quebec over the past few elections it's you know the Bloc in, from 1993 to 2011 the Bloc Québécois dominated in Quebec and the Liberals were kind of surged back and then fell in, into into the early 2000s and then and then fell back into decline and the NDP swept Quebec in 2011 uh, the Liberals then jumped bumped, jumped back and swept Quebec in 2015, which is the first time the Liberals, I think they won the first time they won a majority of seats in Quebec since the 1980 election, back when uh, Senior Trudeau was still Prime Minister. Yeah, I think another thing here, and I'm I am no expert on Quebec, and I am not going to pretend to be, but the but I do think there's a, obviously always has been a, lo- a strong nationalist sentiment mm-hmm. in Quebec, uh, and that sentiment, for whatever reasons, and I don't entirely understand the political calculation, but went to the NDP for one election in particular in 2011 and uh, uh, and stuck with them to some degree in 2015, and then they had, they had written them off at that point. So, But I think that the untold story here then is, is how nationalist elements of the NDP in Quebec are. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, again, this is another that you talk about two solitudes. That's two solitudes within one political stream in a in a big country. So, mm-hmm. and the NDP won one seat in Quebec. I think um, 
Alexandre Boulouris held onto his oh, seat on the did. island of Montreal. Him. Yeah, so that's their one their one seat in in, in, that, in that Quebec. That is good news for me because of my vast collection of photos of Canadian politicians. Alexandre Boulouris is the only one I got a picture <laughs> of from Quebec. <laughs> well, there you go. You can you can use it when he becomes. Uh, so I'll have an excuse to use it. Yeah, when he becomes a uh, 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 finance minister in a Liberal uh, NDP coalition government, yeah. right? <laughs> Um, so we're not experts in Quebec, um, but and we've, we've just proved, and we just proven it. But 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 we do read a lot about, a lot about Alberta politics, Alberta. Um, so talking about what happened in Alberta in the federal election, um, I mean, there's a, there was a lot of what, what surprised me is that, I mean, nothing really surprised nothing really surprised me that that that, that the Conservatives did really did really well in Alberta, but um, the talk of after the elect in a couple weeks after the election of Oh my God! Alberta just kicked out their their three Liberal MPs and the Liberals formed government in oh, yeah. Uh, yeah the yeah the three Liberal MPs and uh, and the one, Liberals one felt government where the Liberals had won before yeah yeah so yeah so so Randy Boissonneau, Amarjeet Sohi and and Kent Hare uh, were defeated for re-election. Uh, Darshan King, who was elected in 2015, didn't run for re-election. He left the Liberal Caucus and sat as an independent. Um, so there's a lot of talk around. How Alberta will be represented in the new Trudeau minority government? Um, I mean, looking at the results of this election, it seems to be pretty clear that Albertans don't want to be represented in Trudeau's minority government. Um, oh, we so th- want it both ways. Yeah. we want to have a temper tantrum because they're not paying any attention to us, uh, and we and we want to firmly and completely reject them and not even talk to them. So you know what? Make up your minds, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 there's one new Democrat. In right. Alberta, Heather McPherson was successful Who's in winning. sailing so close to the wind that she's almost a liberal. Well, that, that's a, that, <laughs> that, that orange starts to tint a little red. <laughs> so there was a CBC story, which basically, with the CBC story, the headline in the CBC story said, this is from this week, that, that she would was basically waiting for a call or, or would, be, would, would consider joining a liberal cabinet or taking a cabinet position. And she was very quick to clarify that, no, she was not going to join uh, join the liberal cabinet and that she was going to continue being a, a, yeah, a new but democrat but even but it was kind of so her position was different from Jagmeet Singh well and then so that's because then that has i think that, that, that there it has a lot to do around the, around the, her position on the Trans Mountain pipeline now she's supportive of the Trans Mountain pipeline yes she is uh Jagmeet Singh or Jagmeet Singh and the rest of the NDP caucus i assume are not um, or m- many of them. Well, we won't don't be. know that, but ma- many of them. M- many will, of them won't be. Won't many be, of them right. won't. Was there, I think it was their their official party position, but uh, but individually, Heather McPherson is. Bearing in um, mind that Mr. Singh was running in Burnaby, where is that, where there's a strong sentiment against the pipeline getting any bigger. Yes, yes. Though the Liberals did win, they won re-election in in Burnaby North, where the the terminal of the Trans Mountain pipeline is, and I find that to be one of the interesting stories of this election that that isn't really being told is that in British Columbia, where uh, where it was spe- widely speculated that Justin Trudeau would lose, though the Liberals would lose seats to lose seats over the pipeline to New Democrats and Greens, Greens. the Liberals only lost seats to Conservatives in in British Columbia. If, if I if I'm correct, well, the, I believe that's right. And the uh, and the Greens seemed to peak early and then fade out, mm-hmm. uh, and that may have been because of factors. Uh, Strategic voting factors in the election, but but uh, the alternative theory is that once with progressive people, once it had been learned that uh, uh, Ms. May had made the cynical choice of hiring Warren Kinsella, who's uh, kind of a, a controversial character, and uh, a gun the, for hire, a gun for hire, right? Who's who has worked for a lot of political parties, that that may have hurt them with uh, potential NDP voters who might have crossed to them. Mm, interesting. 
I think that's probably a bigger factor than it gets credit for being because the reaction at the time was so strong. And that, in my mind, was when you could almost see the, the Greens start to Start to slide. dip back to where they kind of traditionally are. And they elected three MPs. Right. The to, big surprise there was that one of them was in Fredericton. That's right. Yeah, New Brunswick. Where provincially, yeah. provincially, the Greens do very well or have done very well. Where the Conservative Premier then immediately said the day after the election, that's it, we're starting a carbon tax. Well, and I, I thought that was that was very interesting. Uh, yeah, uh, Blaine, Blaine Higgs, almost immediately after the election, said, the people have spoken, um, we're, not, we're, not, we're, we're withdrawing from this coalition of, uh, of, right. uh, of anti, anti-carbon tax conservative premiers. And you kind of saw, saw Brian Pallister from Manitoba he do the same thing. Too. He wavered, too. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it might end up being that it's, uh, it's Jason Kenney and, uh, and Doug Ford are the only, basically, kind of the... Well, don't the, forget Scott Moe. Oh, Scott Moe. It's easy to forget Scott Moe. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> I call the other two Larry and Curly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but but I, you know it might it might be the untold story of the federal election or, or Canadian politics over the past year about how uh, uh, Premier yes. Higgs and Premier Pallister were kind of could have been strong armed into this oh, coalition. Pallister even got his picture with the resistance. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the, the McLean's <laughs> magazine, the infamous McLean's magazine. I guess we can we might be able to cross. His... The resistance is shrinking. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what does uh, what does Justin Trudeau do now? Uh, for Al- in relation to Alberta, uh, he said he's going to the, he'll form he'll announce a new cabinet on the twentieth of November. There aren't going to be as long, as far as I know, unless there's someone who's going to cross the floor, you know, pull a Jack Horner. Uh, there's probably not going to be any MPs from Alberta in the federal cabinet. Um, how do you think? What do you think Trudeau does to to deal with Alberta? Well, my current theory is that what he does since. Uh, since uh, Paula Simons is sitting as an independent senator, that he puts Grant Mitchell in there. Who's fr- who's Sen- senator Grant Mitchell. Sen- senator Grant Mitchell, who's, who's from here, who's mm-hmm. a liberal, who, who, who can be a member of cabinet. The problem with t- drawing somebody w- within parliamentary tradition, drawing somebody from right outside government, mm-hmm. uh, and say taking, well, let's just take Dave Cornway. He's a good guy. We'll put him in the cabinet as Alberta's cabinet minister. Well, I have to move him to a more secure location. <laughs> <laughs> have to move him to a more secure location. But uh, the problem with that, from a parliamentary tradition, is that the convention calls for that person having to run within a reasonable period of time. It's not defined, but yeah. but it's generally thought to be a few months, uh, and then that person is not going to win. It's likely here, and certainly <laughs> if there's no there's no there's no safe secure liberal seat with a liberal MP that would step aside for that to happen, yeah. right? <laughs> so they don't really have an option on that side. Yeah. They, they could draw somebody from the Senate, and probably Mitchell's the best choice if you really think about it. Uh, but maybe they won't want to do that. Or maybe they'll just appoint someone to be a, a, you know, a voice from Alberta that they'll listen to. Yeah. But you know what? This goes back to what we were joking about a minute ago. It's what you can't have it both ways. If you're going to say, uh, the, look at how shrewd the population of Quebec always is about representing their interests in Ottawa. And look at how unshrewd we are. There are so many people hate liberals so much in this province, and that counts some New Democrats too, I think, mm-hmm. that uh, we're not capable, seemingly, of getting representation in the cabinet. Big mistake. You know what's going to hurt? People in Saskatchewan is going to hurt farmers. Uh, I'm having a seniors moment here. Uh, you know who I'm speaking of? That they, the 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 Liberal cabinet minister who who lost his seat, uh, Ralph Goodale. Oh, Ralph Goodale, yeah. oh, in Saskatchewan. Yeah. Sorry, that some, yeah. sometimes when you get to be my age, you just forget things for a minute. <laughs> but that Ralph, that Ralph Goodale, who who 
did a lot of good for them is out of the cabinet now. The Saskatchewan's not going to benefit from not having him there. Mm-hmm. Plus, he was a smart guy and an experienced guy mm-hmm. and a good voice for Saskatchewan in the cabinet. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, had been in Parliament for many, many years. Yeah. Well, what was it? 30 years or something yeah. like that. So, so, so we have the same problem in Alberta, right? We, we need, so, well, maybe we should have, just in Alberta, proportional representation so we can have some people <laughs> go to Ottawa who, who sympathize with the Liberals. Why Why wouldn't the Liberals, or would there be any benefit to the Liberals appointing Heather McPherson to cabinet? I mean, I know they, they have a minority, a large minority, but... Well, I see some big problems with that because if she's if she's becomes a liberal, you can't you really ought not to change parties right immediately after an election. Well, and maybe she, would there be a scenario where she wouldn't and just be invited? Well, that's in? what I was going to well, come right to. Is yeah. that I don't see with cabinet with, with the whole idea of uh, cabinet secrecy uh, that the discussions of that cabinet carries carries on carry on in private. Mm-hmm. She if she were to become a member of the cabinet, she would in effect be a member of the Liberal Party. Yeah. Or, 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 and or she couldn't tell the NDP what yeah. was going on in cabinet. Or she could become a mole, which is highly <laughs> unlikely anyway. Well, right? they, they all know well, who she is. Yeah, right? exactly. So, so if if they'd entered in, if they had entered into a form, formal kind of a formal coalition. coalition like we see, like we saw in Saskatchewan in the in the 1990s, where uh, Roy Romano and his, I think the 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 NDP under Roy Romano won they won. The exact same number, or very a very close number to the same seats as the Saskatchewan Party, and there ended up being about three or four Liberals elected, and they actually entered into kind of like a formal coalition where I think two of those Liberal Liberal MLAs came into the cabinet and served as an actual it was an actual formal coalition. And Tr- in Ontario, there was a not a formal coalition, but an agreement. An agreement, yeah, not, not to. Yeah, on non on controversial issues for a period of time, okay. so the government could get things done. Yeah, and 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 I mean, looking at the position, I mean, the Liberals have a large minority or have the ability to form a large minority government. Um, they don't need to enter into a, or at least they and they've said Trudeau has said, um, despite what conservatives continue to continue to talk about. Justin Trudeau has said that the, he has no interest in entering into a formal coalition government with any of the parties. They're just going to govern on their own. Um, and just like Stephen Harper did when, right. when Harper had his two or three minority governments going his, back in, his, in the 2000s. His, his, the, the way the parliament broke out is pretty stable yeah. from yeah. Trudeau's perspective because he's always going to have someone who's going to vote with him, even in you know believable scenarios, the conservatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So imagine if the uh, if both the Black and the NDP and the three Greens said, no, we're all voting against the pipeline expansion, but the Liberals want that go, to go ahead, I think, despite the fanciful theories here in Alberta. Uh, well, then the Conservatives, are they going to say no to that and, mm-hmm. and and take the political fallout from it? I don't think so. Yeah, I would I mean, I, th- I think the advantage that Trudeau has on the pipeline on the pipeline file is that I don't think there's anything that actually needs to go towards Parliament. But if you're right, mm-hmm. if if, uh, if a Green MP or an NDP MP introduced a private member's bill saying, you know, we're going to halt the pipeline, then obviously right. the Liberals and the Conservatives, you're right. Uh, uh, the, the the vast majority of members of Parliament in Ottawa right now, both co- which are part Conservative and Liberal, um, uh, at least their, 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 their leadership supports the pipeline. Right. I mean, the Conservatives, I think they support the pipeline across, but the Liberals, there's some, you know, disagreement inside their caucus but their leadership supports it and they bought it so on anything else they can they can go to the ndp yeah. or the block yeah so there i don't think there's a likelihood right now you never know you can never predict what'll 
outrage people. But I don't think there's a likelihood right now of a fair, uh, there doesn't seem to be very likely circumstances in which the opposition parties would get together and bring down the government. Mm -hmm. Also, the NDP, it's not in their interest to have another election right now. They're broke. Uh, They need to rebuild their finances. They need to rethink their strategy. The Conservatives are going to have to find a new leader. I mean, you're going to see it. The the knives are already out. Uh, Just like... uh, Dalton Camp and poor old John Diefenbaker, if you want to go way back. They just, they're always cutting each other up like the Jets and the... the what is it? The, uh, the, the, the Jets, jets and, and the Sharks. sharks. Yeah. yeah, the Jets and the Sharks. Yeah. Yeah, except it's the cons and the cons. Yeah. And the, and the Bloc Quebecois have no interest in bringing the government down because they might well not do as well in the next election. Yeah. So, so it's, an, it's actually, wh- whether the rhetoric says this or not, stability is in everybody's interest there. Hmm. Yeah. So I think this will be. I actually predict this will be a four-year minority government. Yeah, and and, and 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 the Liberals are in a position. I mean, the, the, you're right. The, the way the configuration of the new, of the new House of Commons, I think, is actually quite, quite exciting. Um, I mean, we in Alberta, we always get stuck in this kind of pipeline frame or oil frame. Is oh well, what are they going to do for the oil industry? What are they going to do for for pipelines? But talking about issues that like a lot of issues that will actually have a positive impact on Canadians. I'm excited to see what the Liberals and the NDP and even the Greens, perhaps, and, and the Bloc can do on issues like pharmacare, on issues like expanding uh, dental care into into coverage of of, of me- under uh, universal health care coverage, stuff that the that the NDP talked about. Um, you know, we stuff like a, we, affordable housing the, and the last, pro- even pro- talking about proportional representation in electoral reform. Though I don't the, think that'll actually happen. I don't happen, think that'll but, happen. But the the last couple of years, we've really seen like we were get, approaching critical mass where a national pharma care program at least was a real possibility. I think dental care is probably a step too far right now, but they politically speaking. Mm-hmm. But but this actually started to look like something that could be done. But my fear was that the liberals are really another neoliberal party, and that they would back away from it even though they know it would win them votes and make them popular and, and would be something, a historical accomplishment that would, we all Canadians would benefit from for generations. But I didn't think that, I thought in the end they'd find reasons not to do it. They're being heavily lobbied by the usual suspects. And, uh, but now, just because of the structure, the makeup of Parliament, this is a real possibility. I think we probably will get pharmacare. And, and what a wonderful thing for Canadians that will be. Hmm. Absolutely. I say that particularly because I'm getting old, right? So, so one of these days I'm bound to get second need a bunch of it is pharmaceutical in your, drugs in your best interest. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's not it's not just people who are who are uh, you know uh, who how do I it's not it's not just senior citizens it's uh, or or people who've who've been around a little while it's uh, and I, I mean that by no no disrespect, David, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it's it's uh, you know it's families with young kids. And wow, it's it's really everybody. it's everybody, yeah. And, uh, and it's uh, it's people with rare diseases because mm-hmm. if you've got an uncommon disease, the drug treatment trends, tends to be higher because there's not big money for pharmaceutical companies in in it. So yeah. everybody benefits. Well, and that and that that gives you an indication of who's who's lobbying against it. And the, and you know the pharmaceutical companies who see the potential for their profits declining, they benefit a little bit too because they'll still be rich as Croesus. And in addition to that, they won't be viewed as fatherless scum. Uh, and and just exploiters and and shouted at as big pharma, but, you know they'll be seen as by being forced to be better citizens, they will be better mm-hmm. citizens, and we can all stop being so mad at them. This episode of the Dave Berta podcast is brought to you by Telus World of Science Edmonton, home of the Canadian debut of Marvel Universe of Superheroes. 
The exhibition runs until February 17th in Edmonton, and it features more than 300 artifacts, costumes, props, and interactive elements to bring the Marvel Universe to life. You can travel through the mysterious mirror dimension of Doctor Strange and digitally transform into Iron Man, pose for selfies with Black Panther, Spider-Man, and other iconic Marvel characters. Learn the story of Marvel and its influence on visual culture and see rare, hand-drawn images of iconic heroes such as Spider-Man, Black Panther, and Captain America. And you can also experience a thrilling soundscape by composers Lauren Balfe and Hans Zimmer. In fact, did you know, 2019 marks the 80th anniversary of Marvel. Buy your tickets today for the Marvel Universe of Superheroes experience at tellusworldofscienceedmonton.ca. If you're coming from outside of Edmonton, there's also a hotel deal on the website. This is the only place in Canada right now where you can see this amazing exhibition. Visit tellusworldofscienceedmonton.ca. Alberta loves its forests and its shows. In the last 20 years alone, Alberta's forest industry planted and nurtured 2 billion trees. Strategic harvesting is helping slow the spread of the mountain pine beetle. Take that, you scourge of infestation. Oh, <clears throat> and Alberta's forest industry creates enough green energy to power four cities the size of Grand Prairie. If that doesn't power your heart in the process, chances are you need to learn more about your relationship with Alberta's forests. Go to loveabforests.com. Wax at the, uh, the 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 name so dumb. You know, there's there's some great variations on it coming up, and and we shouldn't uh, not take it seriously, and we shouldn't make fun of rural people who support it just because they're rural people. But but I have to tell you that uh, someone on Twitter last night came up with the great line: the 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 block redneck the block redneck was. Oh. <laughs> it wasn't me, although I I repeated it several times. <laughs> So who is leading the Wexit movement? Does it have leaders? Well, we don't. I mean, that's a that's a really good question because yes, it has some some people who some are spokespeople. Who, some spokespeople who, and one of whom is clearly uh, the leader of one particular faction, who actually is seriously answering questions as if this is a possibility about running for the presidency of Alberta. I'm not making that up, right? This is the 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 former Mountie, Peter Downing. Yeah. Who has kind of a checkered past. The, the desurged Mountie. Well, I don't want to get into people's checkered pasts right. because I don't want to defame them. But but I, but I there is some there are some things that kind of make you wonder, some things that well, have been said. Well, and he did run for the Christian Heritage Party. So, if, you know, you can feel free to judge him for that. <laughs> judge him for that. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, sorry, I started immediately started thinking about Scripture. Judge not lest you be judged. No. <laughs> that's in their platform. Yeah. That's, in their, uh... that's, that's in their platform, isn't it? Uh, However, and there have been some, and there's certainly a lot of kind of homophobic and uh, like commentary that mm-hmm. that has been associated with people associated who are who are supporters of that party. But but I guess my issue is that we know who the obvious spokespeople are right now, but what we don't know uh, is where the money's coming from. So they've been able to buy. Uh, YouTube pre-roll ads. YouTube pre-roll ads. They've been able to buy billboards all over the place. Now, this stuff isn't the most expensive advertising stuff in the world, but it's not cheap. So who's bankrolling this Mm -hmm. and why? Yeah. Uh, there's also, Do you think it's foreign? Gov- foreign? Well, that's what I was going to get to. Then, the, then there's the social media side where they claim to have uh, 262 supporters. Was one thing thousand 
262,000 yeah. supporters in, in one particular news report. Uh, their Facebook group has 32,000 accounts mm -hmm. associated with it. Are all these real people? Well, of course not. But but then who's ru who's running the bots? Is it is it the Russians? I said in one of my angry tweets last <laughs> night when I was <laughs> before I settled down. Uh, I I said that you know the all Russian bots aren't uh, aren't self-driving armada tanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you could see on on the day after the election when there was a lot of talk about oh the Wags at hashtag is trending the the we want you know the Republic Alberta it wasn't Republic Alberta, but but basically the Free Alberta online chatter was 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 trending. You could see if you went and followed the like search for the hashtag, you could see that you know there were a dozen or two dozen tw tweets every minute, and you know a good number of them from the the ones that I surveyed were accounts that were created in August 2019 and had zero followers. So this was a, there, a, there definitely was some sort of bot right. um, promotion of of the hashtag to get attention, and and I didn't really see any media coverage of that. Right. So we, just what I was going to say. So here's my challenge to mainstream media, which in my view has covered this very very badly. Uh, they're credulous of the claims made by these groups uh, and the claims which are frankly not credible. Uh, there was a meeting in Edmonton, I guess it was uh, yeah, last night, uh, that there were supposedly 700 and peop 750 people at based on the size of the venue. All the photos I saw, I was trying to, of course you're seeing photos of part of the crowd, but I was trying to calculate the crowd, mm -hmm. looked to me more like a boat. 250, 300. Now, of course, I might—I wasn't there. I might have missed some, but uh, they claim to have these uh, 200 and some, th 260 some thousand supporters. I, there's just no way uh, those are real people. So let's let's have some let's have some appropriately skeptical reporting, and let's challenge the media uh, to if this is really such a thing. Let's do a serious poll that not only asks people do they support. Alberta or Prairie separatism because BC is not in. Sorry, folks. Mm -hmm. uh, there's your there's your path to tidewater still blocked. <laughs> uh, and even if some of BC is in, as some people were tweeting last night, they're not the parts that are on salt water. Uh, but but you know if if there are really if there really is significant theoretical support for this, uh, what about asking the hard questions like? Uh, do you still support it if you have to give up your Canadian passport? Do you still support it if you have to give up your CPP pension? Yeah. Uh, which should be relevant to the crowd at that yeah. meeting last night because they all looked like they were older than me. And by God, that's old. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, so there's a, whole, there's a whole raft of questions about do you, st do you still support it uh, if you can't negotiate a deal with the United States, which, as we know, with President Trump, it's not so easy just to... The, the Brexit people in England said, oh, well, we'll just negotiate a deal with the states and everything will be okay. But after what happened with NAFTA, how easy is that going to be? Mm -hmm. we, we should think about we things. We, think want. About we, things. We, we, we want to name after Brexit. That's uh... Yeah. Well, Bre what was the line? Somebody <laughs> said, well, look how well that worked out. What yeah. could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a real dumb idea. And I don't think the support for it is as big as is being claimed. But I also think that the... The support, even if it's a mile wide, it's only an inch deep because when people start to think about the real implications, they'll run away from it screaming. Yeah. But why not, Why isn't the media doing that the job that it should be doing and covering those issues instead of just reprinting the press releases from these guys mm -hmm. or, go, or going to their meetings for 10 minutes and talking mm -hmm. about the, the, what the clowns there are chanting? Mm -hmm. I mean, these are, this, is, uh, this is this populist phenomenon in the style of Trump. Uh, there are going to be people who like that. There are going to be people who get carried away at a meeting. But I don't think this, in this province, indicates real support. Yeah. 
And I, yeah. If I'm wrong, we got a big army base here. To <laughs> I, I, I think it's important to recognize, and I think the, I mean, the federal election demonstrated this or reinforced this, that there are a lot of people who are frustrated. There's a lot of people who have had um, economic stress, economic troubles over the past number of years here in Alberta. I, we, we, I don't think we should downplay that. We should recognize that. And But we need to provide solutions and, and actually help people. Well, and, and, kicking and, the crap out of public employees is not going to help. Exactly. And furthermore, it's not going to help many of those same families. If the person who, if the, for example, if one spouse is a registered nurse uh, and one spouse works in the oil patch and the oil patch spouse has not had a job, yeah. uh, ca- causing the... Uh, uh, forcing the nurse to take a payroll back of three percent is not going to is not going to help that family, uh, which is why to go back to one of the first questions you asked, I wonder, I really wonder about when, when is this people when are people who voted for the UCP's eyes going to be opened on this? Some of them they never will be because it's just team loyalty, it's just tribalism. Some of them will be. We won't get to that precise question just yet, but we do have quite a few about the budget. We've got a few about um, municipal questions, education questions. So I'm just going to start off the top because there's quite a few. The first is from DJ Kelly on Facebook. DJ asks, uh, the Alberta budget was billed as being all about creating jobs. Since then, we've had Husky laying off hundreds and Canada leaving the province. Significant planned cuts to the civil service and expected cuts to related public services uh, like post-secondary municipalities. How exactly does the budget propose to create new jobs, and how long will it take for those new jobs to make up for the ones the budget caused to be lost? Well, that's a great question, and it's and it's kind of complicated because. Uh, and one thing I do want to say by way of introduction is I think it's a little early to be too hard on the UCP for this because they they do require some time for their policies to take effect. For sure. So I would love to, because I'm not a supporter or a fan of the UCP, as you probably guessed. Uh, I would love to be able to say, well, the Canada departure, for example, uh, Jason Kenney owns that. But I don't think that's clear because it's too soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it won't be too soon for much longer. So yeah. they need to start producing some results. The, 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 the answer to the question, I think Dave may have some better insights on this, but is a big part of the answer to the question is that they plan to cut corporate taxes, and that's part of the budget process. Uh, and they believe that by cutting corporate taxes, uh, that this will create circumstances in which companies will invest more and hire more people, and thereby more jobs will be created. And they have very specific figures about it. And they have a group of tame, trickle-down economists who are willing to write reports for them saying that this is so. But but I say to you, and I'm not an economist, but I am a journalist who's paid attention to this for years, uh, that the whole idea of trickle-down economics is pretty well discredited. Uh, President H.W. Bush called it voodoo economics, and that's not a bad term for it. And it won't work. It just won't work. And so, the, so that then becomes the question is, they may, be, they may be honestly or they may be cynically or some combination of both uh, bringing in this policy, but it's unlikely to work. And if it doesn't work, then... How are they going to deal with that? Dave answered this question in part earlier. Uh, they've got a whole long list of uh, foreign and domestic enemies, real and imagined, yeah. uh, that they'll trot out and blame for their problems. But Dave, anything to add uh, about when this budget will start to create jobs? You know, it is it is very difficult for governments to create jobs in the private sector, and I think I mean I think that I agree with David. We have to wait and see what the the impact of we have to wait a little little while longer to see what the impact of the UCP's policies are, um, but I mean so far what we've seen I mean the the, the provincial government in, introduced a four point five or four point seven billion dollar 
ta- corporate tax break, depending on on whose whose numbers you're looking at, it's a hell of a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've seen Husky lay off staff in Calgary. We've seen Encana move. May or may not have had anything to do with the tax break, but I mean, in Encana's own report. They pocketed $55 million because of Jason Kenney's corporate tax cut. So and, thanks and, for covering our moving costs. And, there's, and they're still <laughs> moving to Denver. So, you know, I think these companies will, you know, th- these companies are going to make their make their decisions, sure, based on taxes, but there's probably a lot of other things that they're basing their decisions on. Mm-hmm. And maybe Alberta isn't, isn't, uh, isn't the best place to be, and maybe the climate's better in Denver. Maybe. You know, the, one of the things that may have happened, and this is just speculation here, but it may be a cynical move in the sense that the government may have thought, well, there's bound to be another boom. Uh, and then, and if the timing's right, then yeah. we, can, we, we can run on that as being the success of our economic policies. And now we can uh, uh, reward our friends yeah. in big business. But, or, or they may actually believe that this stuff works. But the evidence is it's not uh, uh, unequivocal, but it's certainly compelling that – uh, the, these policies do not work very well. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's another question here about all these raising taxes sort of uh, in sneaky ways, um, cutting services, but still winding up with a larger deficit than the NDP was predicting. What is that about? Well, that that I say to you is about the tendency of conservative parties to scream about deficits when progressive parties are in power and not to give a hang about them when they're in power. Mm. We see this with Trump. The U.S. deficit's going to hit a trillion dollars for crying out loud. That nobody cares on the Republican side. But why would Canadian conservatives say they drink at the same fountain? Uh, why would they view things any differently? Yeah. But so that's that's part of the story, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. Who knows what the other? Part sorry, is. I ran out of steam on that one. No, that's all good. I was going to yeah. yell, but De- whatever it was, it's gone. De- de- deficits don't matter. They're irrelevant. Governments run deficits. Um, you know, well, it, deficits it, are actually up to a point. They're up to up to good. a point. Yeah, because because the as long as the assumption is as long they do, deficits do not necessarily add up to accumulating debt every mm-hmm. year, which is the commonplace understanding of it. Uh, as long as your economy is growing, it's as if you were running a small household deficit every year, but you have reasonable expectation of getting a two or three percent wage increase every year. Right. So right. you can you, you could not accumulate debt and still move along, but. Um, uncomfortable Silencio on Instagram asks about which ministries were hit hardest by the budget cuts, and and if you guys saw any benefits in in ministries from from the budget. Well, I mean, in terms of 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 budget cuts, it's I think it's hard to say. I mean, hard to determine what what do you what do you mean by hit the hardest? Mm. Uh, I mean, I've heard I've seen letters being circulated from school boards across the province raising concerns about saying this is how much that we had we had budgeted to to spend on on uh, on education over the next year. This is how much we're actually receiving. We're going to have to make some decisions because the provincial government just isn't stepping up. They're cut, essentially cutting cutting funding, and that's going to impact teachers and in, impact classrooms and impact students. Um, so I, I don't think we've seen yet what exactly which which departments are actually actually being impacted the most or hurt the most hurt hit the hardest well, yet. Yeah. But but when you look at look at ministries like culture and tourism, uh, I mean I was looking at the, at the at the numbers. I think they're planning on cutting the budget for culture and tourism by fifty percent by over the next four years. You look at Indigenous affairs. I think the number that I heard. I think Janice Irwin was talking about. Um, that was up to 35 or 36% of the terms of the budget being cut. I mean, there's you'll, some, you'll recall a famous story about Winston Churchill during the height of the Second World War uh, being advised to stop spending money on cultural projects because uh, we need all the money for the mm-hmm. war. And he mm-hmm. said, well, then what would we be fighting for? Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. But but I think that personally I think the biggest impact will probably be advanced education in yeah. the immediate term. But but beyond that there's there's some interesting things about uh, how other other cuts impact certain departments. So they have insisted that healthcare and education will see no actual cut, although inflation and population growth will make it a cut anyway. But mm-hmm. but uh, how we don't know what they're going to do with infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So so not building the South Edmonton Hospital, which was the project started by the previous government, that's a kind of healthcare cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's the same thing could be said for. Uh, I mean, we, we didn't even touch on what was ha- what, on what was happening with the municipalities. So I think there might be a question with munis- a question coming up about cities. But um, I mean, talking about what's going to happen with the LRT funding for the Green Line in Calgary and the West LRT here in Edmonton, that's still kind of up in the air. They've introduced this kind of what they called it a guillotine clause, clause where the uh, the provincial government can essentially. Uh, Put a stop to the projects. Put a stop to the yeah. projects. Dave, yeah. I can almost guarantee you they call it a guillotine clause. Gu- guillotine? Guillotine? <laughs> guillotine. That is, bunch. is guillotine not the way to say it? I don't know. Well, oh, no, okay. you're right, but uh, I'm just saying. Oh, they call it a guillotine. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, we need to increase that culture into a culture budget. That's a, uh, an education budget. Another... But, uh, but the other thing there is I think they're hostile to environmental projects, despite what they say to the contrary. So and, unless they're big boondoggles like carbon capture. So mm. uh, th- this is the... Uh, the, the the Rob Ford uh, uh, war against the car lines. So the, so they are not sympathetic to the idea of building more public transit. Yeah, uh, Kyla on Instagram asks if there's any way this budget can be reversed without recall legislation or an all-out revo- revolt. Oh well, probably not. Yeah, uh, this and we is don't happening. and we don't have recall legislation, and it'll never yes. be set up. Yeah, but it'll never be set up in a way that enables you to recall Tories. <laughs> that, 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 that was William Aberhart's first mistake. Is one of the first things he did was implement recall, and then he tried. Then he implemented his crazy agenda. Yeah, and then he and then he withdrew recall. Yes, uh, however, all, an all-out revolt might work. So, <laughs> <laughs> to the streets, to the barricades, <laughs> a la barricada. Yeah. Uh, we have a few education questions. This one from Scott Kelly. Scott asks, what are your thoughts on Kenny's hostility toward public education? He's made moves to remove the word public from the school boards. He's given private religious schools uh, $400 million extra dollars and is trying to take away control of teacher pensions from the Alberta Teacher Retirement Fund. What do you think? Well, there's two issues here, I think, or a couple anyway, that they're... Uh he he personally and many people in the government are social conservatives and they're also market fundamentalists so the market fundamental of them market fundamentalist side of them makes them hostile to the idea of public services uh and the and removing the name from school boards and i think you'll see this from other public enterprises too uh is a way of muddying the waters a bit and making privatization a little easier hmm. so so that is that's Definitely part of what's going on now. I forgot the second part of my thing there, so I'll come back to it. What do you think, Dave? Why why are they so hostile toward public education? Well, I mean, I think that I mean, I think they even laid it out in their laid it out in their platform. They want to introduce more private and charter schools, and I think that's part of that's part of the uh, part of the agenda. Oh, and that goes to what I was going to say yeah. is that the other thing is that part of one of the core groups that have been very effective uh, lobbying for them, also lobbying them. Uh, working for them, donating money for them, and and being certain to vote for them, are private school parents. Mm. So so that's a that's a core group that you want to make sure that you continue to keep them reasonably on side. There's a long history. I mean, if you look at the private school lobby in Alberta, they've been lobbying for 40 years for essentially full funding, and they're getting, and they're getting very close to it now. When Klein was premier, his education minister Halvard Johnson basically said. That'll happen over my dead body. 
Hmm. Uh, but they were still able to push it forward and push it forward. And the, often the deals were framed with with the Klein government that, uh, look, if you'll drop it, we'll give you a little bit more. Okay, and, and they'd say sure, and then immediately start lobbying for the next step. Interesting. And, and interesting how, interestingly, Halver Johnson was also, before he became a conservative MLA, was the president of the Alberta Indeed. Teachers yeah. Association. Wow. Yeah. Those, interesting those, history there. Those were different days than today. No kidding. Uh, our last last question on education is around uh, what the impact of these cuts will be long term on children's education. Like you know, you're seeing there's the the question asker Brandy uh, Nadiger Harrop is saying that her school district is almost 10 million short. The president of McEwen University said they're going to be 17 million dollars short in their operating budget for this year. What impact is that going to have long term on education in Alberta? Well, we need to break that out and talk about public schools and Catholic schools in one group uh, and post-secondary education in another. What will happen, I think, in post-secondary is that programs, often successful programs, uh, will get cut. Mm -hmm. uh, and some of the examples of where that might happen was what, back during the Klein cuts, a very successful secretarial program at Mount Royal College was cut out because the statistics, you see, they're gonna, they'll introduce performance statistics. And one of the performance statistics was people that completed the program uh, were, a, were, a, were a gauge of its success. The secretarial program, there was so much demand for secretarial help in Alberta at that time that people were getting good jobs immediately after completing one year of a two-year program. So one of the most successful programs they had was judged a failure because people weren't graduating. Wow. So, so dumb decisions will be made because there's always biases built into that. But what you'll see will happen universities will try to keep their core programs operating and they'll try to keep the programs that can get funding operating but theater arts uh you know uh, uh estonian literature mm -hmm. things like that those are, those are the ones that will get cut and get killed that hurts the academy that hurts the quality of education decision was made in this province by by the Aber during the Aberhart era uh, to have first-class universities, and and now we're moving towards reducing the quality of the universities here. We'll we'll suffer for that in the mm -hmm. long term. So that's that side. The public education side is a little different. I mean, the class certainly classroom numbers uh, affect the the attention that teachers can give to individual students. So not all students will fall behind, but students with learning problems will. Yeah. Uh, if kids are hungry, kids that could perform well in school are not going to perform as well. Well, they had to take the money, the $30 million that was the NDP was using to f give kids breakfast uh, who needed breakfast and use it for the war room. Yeah. So, you know, that, what, what an appalling decision that was on both counts. But yeah. anyway, so, you know, the, I think it's a little different, though. You have, to, you have to account at the different levels of education how things will, f will come out. Yeah, for sure. All right, on to a few municipal questions. Uh, Phil Zinkin is asking... Uh, he says it would appear as if there's a conservative long game at play. Western Prairie Canada seems to have a lot of progressive mayors, yet staunchly conservative provincial and federal representation. And so Phil asks, does this budget attempt to set up these mayors for a takedown when they have to unload the cuts on municipalities uh, to their citizens through municipal tax increases? Dave's got a theory about this. Yeah, I mean, this, this is, uh, I mean, first of, first of all, so much about so much of this is about downloading responsibility onto municipalities. It's a lot of these cuts that are having to having to do with municipalities have to, are downloading more responsibility on municipalities with less resources, mm -hmm. or forcing city councils to take uh, more unpopular decisions around increasing increasing residential or business taxes on, on or fees on a municipal level. I think that a lot of what we saw over the past week 
um, is part of a. I mean, I think there there is a, there is a there is a conservative long game at play around um, the 2021 municipal elections in Alberta. Yeah, both, both in Edmonton, but mostly in Calgary. Um, Nahid Nenshi has successfully over the past three elections defeated uh, high-profile conservative candidates who had the backing of the, the conservative establishment of the sprawl cabal, of the sprawl cabal <laughs> and the de- and developers, and they really want to get rid of Nahid Nenshi. Uh, and I think this week, um, I mean, Nenshi is he never shies away from a fight, and I yeah. think we saw that this week with his back and forth with Doug Schweitzer, justice minister, who basically had a meltdown, had a temp- temper tantrum in, and, in the uh, in the on the in in one of the hallways in the legislature. Um, yeah, I think that that tr- going after these, or going after big city mayors, ma- mayors uh, specifically Nenshi, um, with budget cuts, um, forcing them into kind of an a- into an adversarial position. Um, looking at the 2021 election, you can see how it's being set up. Mm-hmm. This this equalization referendum that Jason Kenney keeps on talking about. Constitutionally kind of, meaningless referendum. Yeah, and the, the, the goalposts keep on moving. First, it would be if Andrew Scheer didn't become prime minister, or even first, like the, the 12th iteration of it was that and if Andrew Scheer didn't become prime minister, uh, he would hold, they would hold, we'd hold a, a referendum. Now it's if the pipe, Trans Mountain Pipeline doesn't get, gets constructed. Which, In labor relations, this is called the receding horizon. Yeah. It's always the next. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so... I think the play is equalization referendum and Senate election, Senate nominee election, which also is also going to happen in 2021, is are two ways that conservatives can mobilize their base of supporters in municipal elections, mobilize them on partisan conservative issues, not just municipal issues, right. and get them out to the polls. And then the, the idea would be is that they, they could vote a straight ticket. They could vote, you know, w- yes to whatever the question on equalization is whatever that looks like, um, vote for conservative Senate nominee candidates and then vote for their conservative mayoral candidate. And, and so, I think, for, I think, so cr- I th- for crying out loud, can can progressive parties, even though it's BS, can progressive parties please run a progressive Thank candidate you. for the Thank Senate you. Yes. And, uh, and campaign properly for it and put some money into it? Of mm-hmm. course it's constitutionally nonsensical. But it's a real political thing that the Tories are planning to use. Dave's right. His theory is right, I'm sure. Are planning to use in order to, to boost themselves in other ways, So so in other departments. So, you know, play the game. Uh, and mobilize your supporters the same way, and then and then get progressive mayors back in all those places, and get a progressive Senate candidate, and then you'll see how how committed Tories are to having Senate elections. Mm. Really interesting. Well, that's a fascinating theory. Thanks for your question. Uh, next up is Rates Runs on Instagram, and they ask, "What can Edmonton and Calgary do to work with or finagle the provincial government to get these damn LRT lines built?" I I think a lot of the 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 stuff in the budget around LRT lines has more to do with the Green Line in Calgary than it does to do with the West LRT in Edmonton. Right. I think that conservative- Green Line was an issue in the in the Calgary municipal election. Yeah, and can some conservatives have come out against it. I think Rick McIver's kind of said he, he came out against the, the 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 current line. Michelle Rempel was out talking about it during before the federal election or during the provincial election. Um, so conservatives have their have a bee in their bonnet about the Green Line LRT. The West LRT might just be a casualty. Might might just be a casualty of that. But I think, and and thinking about, we talked a little bit about how Justin Trudeau and the new Liberal minority government in Ottawa deals with Alberta. I think there's a real opportunity for the federal government to deal directly with municipalities on issues like climate change, where mm-hmm. you have a provincial government that really isn't interested in taking action on climate change, but you have municipalities that are actually moving in that direction and actually. 
uh, actually want to talk and actually want to take action about climate change. Um, you have an opportunity to do so. So LRT and public transit would work into that. But you also have an opportunity on things like affordable housing and other infrastructure funding. So I would be very interested to see. I mean, yes, obviously, municipalities are, are creations of the province and they're, they kind of exist and operate almost at a, even though they provide some of the, the most important services and, and, and uh, infrastructure that everyone deals with on a daily basis. Um, I think that the federal government could play a role in this. Yeah. Can you break down the cuts to policing? Doug Schweitzer blames municipalities and denies funding cuts, but seems like they are getting less money overall for policing, especially when the UCP claims there's a crisis with rural crime. So are there actually policing cuts? Okay, this is what the... I mean, this this was kind of the cru- the, the 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 crux of the argument between uh, Doug Schweitzer and Nahid Nenshi the other day. But not talking about Calgary, talking about Edmonton. This is what the Edmonton Police Service said to media this week. They said that its operating budget was reduced by five million to nine million dollars due to the province taking larger a larger portion of the money generated from traffic tickets, as well as having to foot the bill for DNA biological casework. So it does appear that there there was a cut. Okay. Yeah. And and traffic tickets seem to be where where that cut is coming from. Hmm. On the rural side, and I'm a little vague about how this is working, but there appears to be a move by the government to say that uh, municipalities that small small municipalities and regional districts that hitherto have not had to pay for RCMP policing are going to have to pay some. Uh, so that's a downloading. Right. So that might it might or might not actually change the budgets, but that would depend ability uh, a bit on the ability of the regional municipalities to raise the money. So there's clearly some cutting going on, and and why this made uh, why this bringing up this kind of thing makes them so angry is interesting. Maybe it's just that they're angry people. I mean, the conservatives in Alberta have always been angry, and they were <laughs> and they were angry when they lost the election to the NDP. They couldn't believe it, and then they were angry when they won the election to the NDP. <laughs> and now they're angry that they've lost the election federally. So who knows? All right. This last question comes from Dan Jay for Alberta Senate 2021. Speaking of uh, an elected senator, there we go. We is already he have our a first candidate. Progressive candidate. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Uh, is there a rule that municipal politics has to be nonpartisan in Alberta? No, no, no. Hmm. And so Dan's asking because this this actually came up, did it not? Like running slates of political parties in cities and towns in, in slates, Alberta. Yeah, it's. Uh, uh, Slates get run. I mean, in Airdrie, I think there was a slate that was run. In Red Deer, there was a slate of candidates that was run. It typically hasn't happened recently. It used to be actually quite common. It used to be the it used to be very common in in municipal politics in Alberta up until like the nineteen sixties or seventies, and then really? they kind of fell out of fell out of favor. The I la- think voters don't like it yeah. or, or think they don't like it. So you know, yeah. that may be a practical rule, but it's not a. But it's not. It might be a convention, but it's not a rule. And, Interesting. And, and there has been chatter about people in the in the provincial government talking about setting up, uh, creating municipal political parties for, and that could play into what what I was talking about for 2021. Um, but that that can work both ways. I mean, it also could mean progressives could get their their act together and get organized. And and I'd like to share a story of. I think I told you this story before, David, about the uh, the coal miners in Blairmore. Uh, in the 1930s, there was a uh, a slate. I don't think it was an official. It might have been an official party. It might have been like a Labour Dominion Party slate, which was like basically like the Communist Party at that point. Uh, a slate in running for Blairmore Town Council, and uh, they ended up winning all the seats on Town Council in that election. This would have been in the 1920s or 1930s, I think. 
And one of the first things that the town council did was implement a uh, a licensing fee for purebred dogs um, because only the bosses could afford purebred dogs. So everybody else who had a mutt didn't have to pay the dog fee. So anyway, so so in, in terms of uh, of slates, um, I think it's important that uh, that progressives don't uh, don't get spooked by slates and see it as an opportunity to organize and actually run credible campaigns and credible candidates if the conservatives are going to implement something like this and officially. You, and you know what I'd say to the to the the putative candidate here, uh, if you're living in a city and the and the NDP or the uh, or the Liberal Party won't cooperate with you on this. There's no, there's nothing to prevent you from setting up your own city political party and exactly. just bypassing them. Just do it. You know, this is done in other parts of Canada. And as long as I grew up in BC and as long as I can remember, Vancouver has had mm-hmm. uh, political parties. Mm-hmm. And they, they've been essentially farm teams for the NDP and the Social Credit Coalition and subsequently the Liberal Party. But the same, operating under a variety of different names. More recently, they've had some other groups that have come in. But, but you can, there's no, even if there were a law against having a formal party. There's, there, we do have freedom of speech in this country, so there's nothing to prevent you from saying that, well, we're members of the Dave's committee or the Dave's group, and, and we <laughs> D- only, vote, we only think you should vote for people named Dave's. Yeah. I mean, I would vote for that party, just knowing the two Daves that I have in the room right now. Well, we got three votes here. So. Yeah. That's, that's, well, maybe. <laughs> I told you about the case where the, uh, the guy running for the president of a union I worked for uh, had to have a nominator, but he only got one vote. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, one last question. This one's from Kara Little uh, on Facebook, and Kara's asking, uh, she says she's curious who pays for Jason Kenney's federal campaigning. And is the time on his Alberta government time, or does he take vacation days to campaign in Ontario? So this is coming from the federal election. I don't know the answer to this. For, from what I understand, from what I understand, Mr. Kenny's office said the federal Conservative Party paid for his travel and accommodation while he was there. Seems like they I, could I, have I, used I, that I, money I, elsewhere. Yeah, I don't uh, now. Yeah, now hindsight. Uh, I don't. I don't know if he took vacation. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, this raises the question: Is should we require them to check in with a punch card? Yeah, yeah. Do your timesheets, everybody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, he's he's all unless he can turn off the part of his head that's Premier of Alberta. Um, I mean, I think he's always Premier of Alberta. Absolutely. Well, thanks for all your questions, everyone. There were some good ones in there, and uh, thank you guys for answering for us. Thank okay. you. Thanks. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. And thank you to our guest co-host, David Kleiman-Hager, for joining us today. This is a lot of fun, David. It was a lot of fun. Thank you very much. And to our producer, Adam Rosenhart, yeah. who, uh, who always makes us sound so good. Thank glad, you. Thank glad you, Adam. You're awesome. Thank you. Uh, send us your feedback and questions for our next episode. You can get us on Twitter and Instagram at, at Dave Berta or on the Dave Berta Facebook page. Or you can email us at podcast at daveberta.ca. And as always, feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or or wherever you download podcasts that let you lead reviews, let you leave reviews. So thanks so much for listening. We'll see you again soon. <laughs>